Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. How did God speak to a man who should have been sentenced to life in prison at Leavenworth? Where did the Lord lead him 10 years later to serve as a scripture-based pastor whose church experienced exponential growth while articulating a message of renewed orthodoxy. This is the story of Dr. Bill Boylan, who has heeded Proverbs 22, verse 28. Do not move the ancient boundary stone. We pause here at the beginning of our show to remind you the reason we have the Good Life program, well, my friend, is to, is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong, so strong. He died on the cross for your sins. Yes, your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Yes, God's hope to you. If you've never opened your heart to Christ, it's our prayer that you would do that, that you would turn from your way to God's way. That's called repentance. And enter into a relationship with God, a loving relationship with God who knows you and will guide you as you follow him through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you already know the Lord, well, you'll be lifted up today. Reverend William Boylan is a native of Ipswich and a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He was called to the pastorate of Byfield Parish Church in 1969. A man of strong evangelical faith, he changed the church's theological direction from the mainline liberal approach to the more strictly biblical concepts characteristic of the earlier days. He has seen numerous programs develop both in the church and in its outreach. Dr. Bill, welcome to our show. Well, thank you. I'm certainly glad to be here and to share uh, this uh, opportunity with you. Where in Ipswich did you grow up? Uh, down toward the center of town. Mineral Street comes off of Central, almost a block or two away from the very center. And uh, uh, that's where I uh, had my growing up years uh, in town. What do you remember those uh, enchanted days as people look back often on the days gone by, any remembrances that stick out to you? Well, when I go to a grocery store today and shop for my wife, if she needs me to, for something quick, I'm going to your wife's name? Miriam. Miriam. Miriam Boylan. Anyway, when I'm uh, at the grocery store for whatever reason, particularly the grocery store, I remember going downtown with my mother and uh, when she shopped as a little kid. And uh, as I watched uh, the, uh, the uh, clerks there work with their technology and I slip in my card I remember the the uh, old grocer pulling the stuff off the shelf with a with a kind of claw and then writing all of the 
costs on the on the uh, grocery bag and totaling it up. And uh, now I have to figure out myself what button to push to pay him. Dr. Bill, you see, you shared that. Someone listening today, you took them right back to that very moment. They know exactly what you're talking about. Who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? Um, well, I, mean, I think my grandfather, in some ways, uh, I grew up in what I call a common grace home. Uh, we were not Christians, but it was a good home. Uh, they, my father and mother loved each other, and they loved me. Uh, my mother almost uh, died in childbirth. and In fact, her sister-in-law had died that way. It was a scare in our family. And uh, I've looked back at it after becoming, uh, after I was called to Christ and saved by his blood, uh, it occurred to me that God had been working in my life for a, a long time, certainly before I ever knew it, uh, at the day of my birth, because my mother was dying on the delivery table. And the doc, this is 1939, uh, the do there was no blood bank. And uh, the doctor rushed my father and it was five in the morning uh, when I was uh, coming into the world and uh, my father had not gone to work so he was in the waiting room and he, he hastily established a direct uh, transfusion and saved my mother and me and I always thought of that in later life you've saved me twice by another excuse me by another's blood as you think back on that early your first experience of life, really. Mm. Fast forward a bit. I mentioned the word Leavenworth. Mm -hmm. That speaks volumes to some folk. Say a little bit more about Leavenworth, but also how and when did you realize God's plan for your life did not include prison? Well, uh, what happened was I, we, we were all, at that time, subject to the draft. And uh, that meant for me joining the Army, about a year out of high school. When you signed up for three years, instead of being drafted for two, you, could, uh, you had to serve three years. But you could pick your choice, um, your, your poison, so to say, as far as training. And I signed up with the idea that I would go to missile school because when you went to high school in my time, 1950s, you didn't see the news on television. You saw it on this big screen, the you know, uh, movie tone news or whatever else was coming that day. In the theaters. Uh, yeah, in the theaters. And so uh, uh, that was the end of World War II. I was born in 39. So in the 50s, we were uh, developing NATO and all of it meant what it meant to be the free world. And one of the things was to uh, protect ourselves against sneak attack from the air with missiles, guided, you know, anti-aircraft guided missiles. So I saw them go up all through my teen years when I went to the movies, and it was a natural thing to ask to be trained in when I was a late teenager going into the Army. And I discovered something about myself uh, in that process, and that is when I went to uh, the Nike Universal Electronic Material Maintenance School down in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, I came out top of the class. I don't think I'd bothered to use my brain in high school. <laughs> I, kept it all, <laughs> I kept it reserved for better times. I was, loved sports and the like of it. But anyway, I, I was there, and so I became a teacher at the school. 
even though my rank was low, I mean, I was a private. I just walked, you know, walked into the, this new world as a buck private. And so I had nothing going for me except this position that now they placed me in. And uh, as, <coughs> excuse me, uh, <coughs> so as time went by, uh, I made up my mind uh, as I matured that I needed a college education that was uh, going to be very important as I saw it. And I was coming to the end of my three-year term, and I played football on at the battalion level over at Fort Bliss. And the quarterback and I went to Texas Western University uh, seeking the coach and telling him how good we were and how much he needed us, especially uh, if he wanted to give us a scholarship. Yes. Well, he was interested. I mean, a couple of Army guys coming and had – eligibility for I did for four years my quarterback did it for two and he said I'll tell you what I'll do for you guys I'll uh, I'll give you a one-year trial scholarship and if you work out I'll give you the other three fair enough so I went right back to the post couldn't wait to ask I had to get an early discharge now I was due to get out in October but I needed to get out in September to start classes and at that time it was uh Cold War, but that was real cold. I mean, it was really peacetime in many ways. This would be uh, 1960, 1961. So anyway, I got approved for an early discharge of some 25 days because, as I say, I was due to get out anyway, and I uh, had to pull guard duty because of my rank. Because we had no, if we had trainees, I was out in the field training mostly NATO troops and missiles, but if I had no one to train, if we didn't have a packet, they called it at the time, then I was uh, uh, eligible for duties, and def I was uh, lined up for guard duty. Uh, and uh, as w the officer of the day who inspected us before we had this 24-hour responsibility to guard uh, these missiles, was in my case, and by the way, I had a top secret clearance to, in order to be who I was in the training area. So uh, that's a big deal. And I was in the second rank <coughs> uh, being inspected uh, uh, by the OD, officer of the day. He was just ahead of me in the first rank, and all of a sudden, the loudspeakers came on. Now hear this. Now hear this. All military personnel are extended one year by uh, by presidential order. And I'm days from getting out, starting a new life, going to call it all lost. And I was not yet, uh, you know, I was maturing, yes, that's for sure, but not enough to take it, you know, for what it was. I, I, and I was a good red-blooded sinner down deep when I soon found out. <laughs> if I didn't believe it from any preaching I ever heard, I found it out experimentally that day because I wasn't going to let them do this to me. Well, you, you've got us on the edge of our seats now. You talk about being a red blood sinner. <laughs> You're talking about having your dreams, your dreams crushed in a day. I mean, there were others that had to bear the same news. But here we are, here you are, explaining what was going on in your heart yep. and in your mind. When we come back from our break, take us to the other side. Sure. You say, Danny, where are you going with this? Well, I mentioned Leavenworth. You talk about Leavenworth, some people think about prison. Some people think about life in prison. It's a severe consequence, but how does it connect with Dr. Bill Boylan? 
when we come break when we come back he's going to explain that to us but also weaving in how god was moving even in that moment because god dear friend is moving in your life too stay with us we'll be right back wandering the road of desperate life famously beneath the barren sky james 3:13 says who is wise and understanding among you let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Missiles were his thing. A football scholarship was in his hands. He had top secret clearance and he was about to be discharged. Something happened in the life of a young Bill Boylan. You're listening to the Good Life program. You can find out more about Pastor Boylan at PastorBoylan.com. And my friend, if you're tuning in right now or maybe caught the tail end of the, that last segment, I'm glad you're with us. You're not going to be disappointed. But if you're tuning in right now, maybe caught that tail end, you can get this entire program in its entirety as a gift. Just go to drdanny.live, subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any major podcast platform. It's available for you there. Again, Dr. Danny. Live. Dr. Bill, take us back. What happened when you were there on that day when the announcement came? Hear this, hear this, extension, one year. One year. Well, of course, first it had to sink in that this was real. This was a presidential order. This wasn't suggested. It was, uh, it was a fact. And uh, so I went out on my first shift. I was in the second round in terms of taking responsibility to guard the uh, missile site, the practice site, the, uh, where we trained our troops. And uh, I thought about it, and I thought how unfair this was. And, of course, they gave us no explanation and no clue at all. We just knew we were extended. And so the longer I thought about it, the worse it got for me in terms of my attitude and uh, my weakness to, to be retaliatory. I guess that's part of the sinful life. Uh, you, you, nobody's going to take advantage of you, you know. That's part of the, the game. Now, I may have heard that preached and all, but for s- suddenly it was a reality in my life. I was not going to, you know, not going to go down sw- swinging without swinging. So anyway, the second time I was out, it was midnight. Now, I think way down deep, uh, this was a lot of years ago. This was uh, 1961, so it's an old memory. But I think what I remember is that I was 20 miles north of the post. We were on a training missile site out by White Sands. What 
the officer of the day was ever going to inspect the post at midnight. He's back in the barracks sleeping for sure. So I think behind me I thought, I can do this and nobody will ever know, but at least I'll get the satisfaction. So instead of guarding the post, I went in and put my carbine in the car and I laid down as if to go to sleep, but I fell asleep. I didn't think I really meant to, but I think, but I did. And he really inspected the post. And I can still see, after all these years, the shock on his face when his guard is in a launcher control trailer with his carbine in the corner, and he's sleeping. It wasn't like I fell asleep trying desperately to stay awake on my post. I'm in, the, I'm in there as if I had a bunk. <laughs> and so, and of course, I never, don't think I ever thought it would really happen, and it did. And he couldn't take me off the post. I was the only guy he had for that. So he put me on the post. He was really upset and mad. And I began to walk in. Of course, now I'm thinking, what did I do? You know, I, and, you know, I was, yes, going through these motions. But this is reality. I, I actually did it. What a foolish thing. And, again, I was smart enough to train Germans mostly in guided missiles. I was smart enough to figure out what I'd done. And now I'm beginning to think, uh, maybe he won't turn me in. You know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe. Well, maybe, maybe didn't. F- Someone is thinking, okay, so you're sleeping on the job. Yeah. What, 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 what is so extreme about that? Give, oh. us, give us some context. Well, the context is these were the missiles that were guiding the free world. We would train people in the Nike Hercules system in order to be anti-aircraft missiles, and then we had mostly NATO troops from overseas, and most of the ones I taught were German. But they would go back, and they would establish a Nike site on the Iron Curtain uh, to protect the Western world from a sneak attack in the air by the Soviet Union. So it was a big deal. You weren't guarding the garbage dump or maybe even the food supply. This was, this was a big deal. Uh, by now, nuclear weaponry is part of the scene, and if a flight came over, they could take out a number of our cities like that. Yes. And, and, I, and a guard sleeping? <laughs> Go on. Uh, so uh, I had to do it once more. Uh, I got back at 2 in the morning, and I, I don't think I slept. I think I just worried through the next four hours and then was put back on the boat. I mean, I had to have a guard out there. And then at 6 o'clock, that was 6, I came in at 8 o'clock. And uh, I had hardly taken my boots off to lay down on my bunk in the, in the guard shack when the, uh, the uh, charge of quarters came out and said, Boylan, report to the battalion commander. Well, I'd never met the battalion commander before. I didn't know he knew I existed before. <laughs> and now I've, and I know, I mean, I like to deny it, but I knew I was facing the fact that I had been turned in. Mm-hmm. So it was a walk on the, where I happened to be in the guard shack to the battalion headquarters. So as I walked there, I prayed. I don't know who I was praying to because I was not a Christian, and I, you know, it wasn't real, uh, shall I say, a rebel against it particularly, but I wasn't a Christian. Uh, there was a, a God connection, if you will, I guess, because I went with my family to the Ipswich Congregational Church, but they weren't preaching much of the gospel. It was more about raising funds <laughs> when, when I was a teenager. But anyway, I got to the battalion headquarters and somehow had strength enough in my legs left to get up the steps and go to the charger. Well, it was the uh, uh, the top sergeant. Uh, each of these battalions have a guy that's just ahead of the commanding officer himself, and uh, he 
you know, sends you forward or talks to you or whatever. So I stood in front of him in attention. He didn't look at me. He didn't look at me. Uh, he, had, he was a top sergeant. That meant six stripes with a diamond, and that's as far as you can go as an enlisted officer. And uh, he probably had fought World War One. I. I mean, I didn't know this, but he probably had lost buddies uh, in places like Normandy or maybe out in the uh, Pacific. I didn't know, but I'm sure one thing, it must have hit him in the gut that he had a person in his command who was sleep guarding the mo a top secret missile from, you know, and I, again, was not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but I figured all of that out. <laughs> so anyway, I went in, he didn't look. He, he was looking at his desk at a piece of paper, and I stood at attention waiting, and, that, and I'm sure he did that to make me even feel worse. But anyway, I, I stood there, and finally he looked up, and he looked me right in the eye, and he pointed to the paper, and he said, is this true? And I, what do you say? I said, yes, Sergeant. And I'm waiting for him to send me into the battalion commander, who was a full bird colonel. He took the piece of paper, I, I can still see it in my mind's eye to this day, 60 plus years later. He took the piece of paper, and he put it to the right, we had a stack of papers, he put the paper there, and he looked back at me. And he said, I want you to get out of here, and I don't ever want to see you again. Well, I, when he said, is this true, I said, yes, Sergeant. Oh boy, I said it again. I said, yes, Sergeant. <laughs> and I did an about faith. I went out his door. I went out the next door across the hall, out the front door of the battalion headquarters, and, and believe it or not, I heard a voice in my mind say, you asked me, and I just answered you, and my whole life changed. I was not the same person at the bottom of the step. In fact, I'll tell you one other thing, because it was a mock on that day. When I was about 12, going to, out of grade school into the junior high, I was on my way to the high school, this is in Ipswich, back at old Ipswich High, and I came across County Road, which anybody that's listening to this who's from Ipswich or in the vicinity, County Road's still there, and it's just before you get to the high school, and somehow, and for no reason, no explainable reason, I had a sense of dread come over me. I'm 12-year-old. I'm going to, uh, this is kind of exciting. I didn't mind going to eighth grade. We were going to join with all the other grade schools from the other grade schools in town and be one grade. But the sense of dread came over me, inexplicable. And for the, for the next 10 plus years, whenever I was alone, not if I was playing sports or with somebody, but if I was alone, that sense of dread percolated up. I had no explanation for it. I was looking forward, as I say, to go to school, and I was hoping to play football in uniforms, all the nice things. I wasn't worried about anything, but it kept surfacing. And that day on the steps of the uh, battalion headquarters, it went. Now, I didn't figure this out in the next 10 minutes, but eventually as I read my Bible and thought about the whole experience. That dread was God's kind of my bar mitzvah. I became a man at 12, and when I became a man, I became responsible to God's law, and I had violated the law of God, and I felt a dread of it. I couldn't have explained it. It wasn't intellectual. It was a feeling. And when he forgave me on the steps of the was it went. And I should never come back to this day. Someone today, as you mentioned the word dread, it puts into context something that somebody is feeling right now. 
or maybe they feel it from time to time. And they couldn't put a finger on it, but now you're describing it, there's a point of relation to this in your story. Yes. And as you speak of God and being at the bottom of the steps and your life changing, we need to talk more about that and, 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 and let's, let's go into it. Because what happened in 1969 when you were called, fill in the gap, but how were you called to Byfield Parish Church in 1969? Well, it, it uh, really began when I look at, back at it. It didn't begin in any intellectual way. I mean, I didn't know the future any more than anybody else. But um, I, I became that Christian back in the Army, got out of the Army, went back home. But I was dutifully reading through the Bible. And I came to Ezekiel. And you want to be stumped by a prophet, read Ezekiel, the vision he gets on the plane and all of that. And I'm reading it through, uh, again, not contemplating much, or at least not understanding what he's really getting at, until it gets to chapter 2, that soon. And then it began to talk about, Ezekiel, you're, you're in trouble. I'm putting you in trouble. This is big trouble. The people you're going to aren't going to like hearing from you. They're going to get after you, but don't you quit. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. And then uh, I came down to the, I think it's the 17th verse of that second chapter, and it was like the Spirit of God again spoke to me like he did on the steps of battalion headquarters. I mean, I, I don't want to make this too spooky, but I mean, I knew I was being spoken to. I knew it. I didn't hear an out loud voice, but I knew it. And, the, and I, it said, pay attention. This is you. And it said, son of man. I have called you to be a watchman for the house of Israel. When you see the sword coming, watch and report it, because if you don't, the blood will be at your hands. That was my call to ministry. A call to ministry. Did you mention watchman? A watchman to the house of Israel. Isn't that ironic? On, on the watch, you're listening to Dr. Bill Boylan speaking about his life journey speaking about a decision that he made that he looks back on and says that was that was rooted in sin that was rooted in selfishness and he had it coming mm-hmm. but God in his mercy in ways that Bill mm-hmm. Boylan cannot explain intervened when we come back from our break mm-hmm. he'll share more of what happened after this distinct calling things are happening in 1961 Things are happening. He gave us a global context. Some of you may remember. June 26, 1963, President Kenny, Ich bin ein Berliner. His famous speech. And today, from 1969 to today, God did a remarkable work in the church, Byfield Parish. Stay with us. We'll be right back. the road of desperate life, famously beneath the barren sky. On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE, and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 
Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. So it today. was in the winter of 1969, Bill Boylan's ministry began as senior pastor at Byfield Parish Church. In those early years, a good turnout, a good turnout saw 12 people. Twelve people huddled in the historic meeting room for a sermon. The first independent congregational church in America, Byfield Parish experienced steady decline as mainline New England churches retreated from biblical teaching, but not for long. God had a calling on this man's life, and he'll share about the results. You're listening to the Good Life radio program. Find out more about Pastor Boylan at PastorBoylan.com. Dr. Bill, tell us about what vision God gave you as he called you to Byfield Parish. Well, I mentioned, I mentioned Jim Gavin, and I won't go on into this because it would take for, for, for the rest of the program, but what God did, and I didn't see this till I looked back and realized what he did, he kept putting people in my life at, at the time I needed them. I didn't know I needed them until they came into my life. God knew they needed them and put them there. Uh, and Jim was the first uh, as far as uh, getting me on the right path. And he, uh, again, was the one that urged me to uh, read the Bible. But he began doing different things. He put books in my hands. He kept saying to me, you know, I have a sense you ought to be a preacher. Well, I had no sense of that at all. Uh, I knew I was to testify to Christ and what it meant to be a Christian, but I wasn't really looking in that direction. But he pressed it hard enough that I thought about it. And uh, so I, I did uh, do a thing that he, again, encouraged me to do, and that is not try to go back and get my scholarship at Texas Western if I could have, but go to go to Gordon College because there's where you need to be. You're, you're in a context of the faith, and this it's good college experience. I mean, they're, they're high-quality college, and that's what I did, and I never regret it. Uh, I went to Gordon College, and along that way, after this experience of uh, having those words out of Ezekiel kind of lifted off the page and embedded in me, uh, different things did happen to encourage me that I was on the right path. And one of them uh, was, uh, 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 it's indelible in my mind, I, I was up against, again, another question as far as, where will I go for a graduate degree? Uh, my, I did a history major, and one of my professors was encouraging me as a Christian to get into the political side of things or what have you, and maybe get a degree, an advanced degree from BU or somewhere uh, in uh, the field of uh, uh, political science. But I didn't feel right. And, I, and so finally, 
push had come to shove, so to say, and I had to do something because it was a year ahead, and if you didn't do that, you didn't go to any school. You weren't signed up. You know, you weren't enrolled. And it was the September of 19—it would have been September of 1965, and uh, uh, that was the beginning of my senior year at this college. And I had lunch at the coffee shop, and there's a pond out back of the Lane Student Center. Those of you that are listening that know the campus will know. And there's a long trail all around it, and I walked around this trail, and I passed one thing one way or another. I said, Lord, I don't know. You've got to show me. Do you want me to go into the ministry? You want me to go not to BU or not to any school, uh, but do you want me to go across the campus to go into divinity school? Uh, Show me. And I really said, show me. And so I came to the end of that walk, and I'm ready, ready to go back up into the uh, uh, built-up area. And I stopped for a minute with my eyes closed, and I said that in another, one way or another. I said, Lord, you show me. I opened my eyes, and I was standing one foot on one side and one foot on the other on a crown of thorns. Some kid had woven this. I mean, it wasn't a vision. It was a crown of thorns, and it was on the ground. And I had one foot on one side and one the other one opened my eyes. And I said, you don't have to hit me with a two-by-four. <laughs> That's enough. And I walked right across the campus and enrolled at Gordon Divinity School and never regretted it. Never regretted it. You mentioned, Dr. Bill, you mentioned about God putting people in your life. Mm. As you speak, speak we can hear god moving we can see as you describe you calling out the lord answering someone today is calling out to god mm-hmm. and here they are listening to the podcast or they list they're listening on the the radio and they hear you they hear us having this conversation a prayer is going up in their heart but in the context of their lives, they're searching for God. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for God's direction. They want to feel God's touch. Mm-hmm. Would you just, as we pause in this moment, just pray for that person who mm-hmm. is seeking, maybe crying out to God, praying mm-hmm. for the Lord's movement in their life, even as the Lord revealed himself to you. Yeah. Would you pray? Lord, I do ask you that. Uh, <coughs> you're building your church. Uh, and no, no one's going to tear it down. Uh, it may get attacked, but that's the way of things on earth uh, as we wait your coming back. Uh, and I pray that in the meantime, like you did for me, I pray that if there is someone listening and is g- agonizing over whether or not you're calling them uh, into the ser- your service to in this in this way, there's many ways to serve you, but certainly one of the most uh, I. F- well, I'll speak for myself. I can't think of any other way it would have been more rewarding than to proclaim your word and then watch you perform it. And I pray that someone may be caught by that and want to have that same experience, uh, to be able to proclaim your word and to see you keep your word and by fulfilling it and having the experience of being an instrument in your hand to that end. And I pray that that might be a reality for you who out there are listening to this and thinking that way. Amen. 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 That was for you, dear friend. Yes, you, as you're praying, you're seeking, the Lord sends Bill Boylan to minister to you, Mm -hmm. to speak into your life by God's grace in this moment. So you go to Gordon Divinity School. You 
you learn the word, you mm-hmm. grow, you have a strong theological foundation. And the Lord calls you to Byfield Parish, mm-hmm. 1969. What does he call you into and what is the vision that you have going forward to that point that has led to today? Well, the church fit the bill in the sense of it was a church that really was like the Jewish culture had become when Ezekiel was called to his ministry. Uh, The gospel had been put to one side. Uh, Good works really seemed to be what the people were hoping for. They considered themselves Christians, but if you really got into the nuts and bolts of Christianity and the miraculous nature of the Christian faith, uh, they were really very liberal, and they were on the side of trying to push the miracles out of sight. Uh, they, I think, felt embarrassed by them because they didn't, they didn't really believe that this could be true. You know, they they were not uh, moved. Uh, I stuck with what I thought God called me to do. He said, you you just preach it, and you can watch me work it out. It's my job to do it, your job to say it. So I just kept saying it. 20 years later, that was 1969, 20 years later, no fundraising. That was something I really asked to take out of the life of the church. Now, I never controlled the church, but I make requests, naturally. And once they, I said, let's, let's not have any kind of fundraiser, even, even the pledges. Let's just obey God and see if he won't pay for what he orders. <laughs> I said, you know, I think that's where he gets his glory, so I think he'll do it. Oh, I'd say, think, I believe. Well, 20 years later, we were crammed. We had two services. Uh, we were up around 400 in attendance. Uh, budgets were creeping up into the hundreds of thousands, and outside of that, separated from the operating budget, uh, was the missions budget was creeping up to 100,000 in itself. And in 19, beginning in 1984, we made decisions, and by 1988, we opened a $2 million facility with no fundraising, all giving out of the life of the church. I've seen a picture of it. And what a remarkable, what a remarkable church the Lord has provided. You're listening to Dr. Bill Boylan. You can find out more about him and Byfield Parish Church. Go to PastorBoylan.com. When we come back in our final segment, I don't know if you caught this, but he mentioned that when he was at Gordon College, he was majoring in history. Of course, God led him to Gordon Divinity School. This is just before it became Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. So a pioneer of sorts. When we come back, we're going to talk about Abraham Lincoln and someone by the name of Lovejoy. And we'll speak heart-to-heart with you when we come back. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A police officer found a girl crying on the sidewalk one day. What's wrong, he asked. I'm lost, she said. Do you have your parents' phone number, he asked. No, she said. What about your address? No, she began to sob. Suddenly, she stopped, and her eyes brightened. What happened, the officer asked. I remember, she said. There's a church near my house. And at the top of the church, there's a cross. 
take me to the cross. Take me to the cross. Because when I see the cross, I'll be able to find my way home. My friend, if you feel like you've lost your way, turn to the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Will you turn to Jesus? Open your heart to Him and find your way home to God. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Dr. Bill Boylan has stood firm on the foundation of the Word of God, proclaiming the gospel through his preaching of the Word. He was involved with the Billy Graham Association in leadership for many years, served in the United Church People for Biblical Witness. He was even elected president for Biblical Witness Fellowship. But did we talk about the history of Byfield Parish? And we, we, we haven't gone there, but we must, because names like Abraham Lincoln have a connection to it, but also Boylan has a connection in the early days of the church. You can find out more at PastorBoylan.com. By the way, he's on WNBP and WEZE and uh, in Boston broadcasting his sermons. You can find out more about him again at PastorBoylan.com. So, Dr. Bill, take us back. When was Byfield Parish Church founded, and what's the connection with Abraham Lincoln? Well, the Byfield Parish Church was first settled not not officially they took they they had a process in puritan times but it was uh, settled by uh, a group from Newbury and Rowley back in 1702 and by the way it was a woman who founded the church it's on her gravestone the first one in our cemetery Mahedabel Moody uh, they settled the worship of God in this place and by the way her brother who became chief justice of the colony, wrote the first anti-slavery track in America in 1700. And he followed it up in 1704 with a track called Taliath the Kumi, the Hebrew words that Jesus spoke to the little girl he raised from the dead. <clears throat> and, and the track was about the elevation of the role of women in the church, Puritan church. So that's uh, in our background. Uh, as far as Abraham Lincoln goes, uh, what happened was that Byfield became very instrumental in the anti-slavery movement, and particularly through the Lovejoys. Now, uh, Daniel Lovejoy came down from Maine, a young man. He studied at Governor Dummer Academy, uh, and uh, uh, he was then Byfield. When Byfield was having his own struggles with the uh, call it the racial issue uh, and slave controversy, and Byfield was really one of the chief opponents to the whole idea of slavery in the colonial period. But anyway, Daniel went home, married, and his firstborn was named for uh, the third pastor of the Byfield Church. His na that man's name was Elijah Parrish, and so if you go to history books, you can look it up. Elijah Parrish Lovejoy uh, became a proponent of, uh, well, he was an anti-slavery uh, 
leader. And he moved west. He moved actually to Missouri when Missouri was founded as a slave state and uh, Maine, where where this young man really originated from. Uh, that was a Missouri Compromise. Uh, he was publishing anti-slavery tracts in Missouri, and as a reward, he got his. They would mobs would come and break up his printing press and throw it in the Mississippi River. So he did, they did that a couple of times, and I guess he felt he had bought enough printing presses. So he moved to what was ostensibly a free state across the river over in Illinois. But it turned out that they weren't that free. And they also had their issue with him running these anti-slavery tracks. And at one point, uh, a mob showed up to wreck his printing press, and he stood against them, and somebody shot him, and he killed him. And at that time, his younger brother, nine years younger, Owen Lovejoy, was there when his brother got shot to death, and he picked up his brother's cause. And Owen went on uh, and... Uh, met in, I believe it's 1854, he met a young Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was just coming into uh, prominence. He was a lawyer at, at that time, and the two formed a close friendship. And Owen Lovejoy, uh, being again uh, a follow-up on his brother's crusade against slavery, really got the ear of uh, Abraham Lincoln. Now, I can't make uh, too much of this because it's, a lot of it's by implication, but it's pretty solid implication that, uh, that because Abraham Lincoln, when this uh, Owen Lovejoy died, he died a year or two before Lincoln was assassinated, uh, Lincoln couldn't go to his funeral. He was then elected president, but he wrote a, oh, I guess a, a piece about him, and he said in there that Owen Lovejoy was his best friend. Lincoln said that. And it's hard to believe that this Owen Lovejoy, who himself became a senator, and have considered that, I mean, you know, move that anti-slavery cause, it's, it's impossible to believe that he wasn't a deep influence on Lincoln and Lincoln's uh, guts or willingness to take that stand, which cost Lincoln his life. Yeah. How does it make you feel, Dr. Bill, when you think about the, the heritage Mm -hmm. of Byfield Parish Church. Mm -hmm. You're there yeah. still. Well, when I look at our own era, uh, after we hosted uh, the Biblical Witness Fellowship inaugural meeting, and we did that in uh, July 4th weekend in 1984, two months later I began to receive invitations from the Reagan White House. Uh, and I was invited every other month for two years to briefings at the White House with mostly Reagan's uh, cabinet. If it was on, well, anti-abortion, it would have been Coop, who was the Surgeon General or whatever. Coop. Yeah, uh, but uh, and that was pretty heady for me. Uh, I never expected to get contacted by the White House and invited down. And then uh, I became friends. I considered him, and I think he would consider me a friend uh, with the Attorney General at the time, who was Ed Meese. Ed Meese. And in fact, I was at that time president of the uh, alumni at Gordon Conwell, and I needed to get a speaker. And I was at the White House, and I had asked Ed Meese. I said, uh, "Would you uh, would you be willing to speak at our meeting?" Now, I was really being more in my mind. I was being more or less. Uh, uh, I don't know. I was stepping a little ahead of what I thought would be reasonable. I didn't. This was a busy man. He's the Attorney General of the United States. He worked for Reagan, and I thought he'd be courteous because we were friends. But I, I thought he'd, you know, say, "Oh, well, I couldn't do that." Because he said, "Sure," <laughs> and I almost went backwards. 
uh, as it was, uh, Reagan did send him somewhere, and he called up the church, and he said he was sorry, and uh, but don't worry, my associate attorney general will be there, and he will speak. And Ed, Ed uh, Easterling, I think, was the gentleman's name, and he came, and he was very good. And it's remarkable, I think, because I was in pretty close to the White House situation by these invites, and he, being President Reagan, littered his White House with Christians. Yeah. They, uh, we would break up into smaller groups and go to somebody's office, and they would begin with prayer. <laughs> and, now, as you look, you mentioned presidents. Ed Meese, C. Everett Koop. You're talking about the the. the the presidential office. Mm. That's always a point of interest for mm. people. Mm. Every four years, of course, but mm. daily. The mm. influences that that broad mm. and deep. Mm-hmm. As you look at the life of the church today, mm-hmm. Byfield Parish Church, now you're Pastor Emeritus. Right. Looking ahead, what stirs your heart with anticipation going forward for the church? Well, on this radio station uh, uh, that you're listening to, uh, I pin a lot of the hopes for this reason, not just because I am on the air here and I'm grateful to God for the opportunity, but uh, many years ago, one of the more brilliant men, if I can say that, in our congregation asked me into his study, his office. Uh, he, he has succeeded in a number of ways that were way beyond the norm. And he sat me down in a sense and he said, Bill, you got to understand this. Uh, if there's going to be an awakening in this country, it's going to start in Boston. He said, Boston is the key. He says, cause, and he went on, he said, look at the universities here, with, starting with Harvard. He said, look at the corporate offices here with te- tentacles around the world. He said, look at the teaching hospitals that train people and send them back to their homelands. You reached Boston, you've reached the world. And I took that away, and that was early 80s. And in 1993, I think it was, uh, this station contacted our church about going on the air. And so I've looked at that as really a kind of promissory note from God that I've not given up on this. I'm focusing it, this on Boston. <laughs> I think this would be appropriate and timely for you to pray. There's, a, there's a, a grace on you as you've studied the scriptures, as the scriptures have been mm-hmm. massaged as it were, into your life and you've heard the voice of the Lord and you've acted upon the Lord's call and you've seen the Lord's faithfulness and his providing hand. But in view of this, Boston, here in the Northeast, the tentacles around the world, would you pray a prayer, a prayer of blessing and a prayer of grace and strength for those who are and will continue to serve the Lord in this very precious place. Certainly. Lord, I do thank you for what I've experienced by your grace in my life, and it's totally to your credit. 
and to my enjoyment, if I can put it that way. And I thank you for the joy that's come. And I pray that this uh, that I've been able to share will spark an interest and maybe reignite an interest that's already been there uh, to really be an instrument in your hand to reach out uh, not just to this locale, because it is, it is really obvious in some ways that uh, this, this particular city is like Athens of old. Uh, it's, it's really the place where ideas flow out of, and certainly the more, more powerful idea it cannot be than the one that is encased in the scriptures that was uh, revealed by God and then acted out in life and taught uh, more thoroughly in a way when Jesus was among us in the flesh. And so I would pray that uh, if anyone is listening, is particularly someone is in the position that uh, you put me in to, to lead a congregation, I pray that you will give uh, a sense of expe- expectation uh, that you will do miraculous things. You did that among us. You did miracles. And uh, the liberal churches that uh, I was associated with very clearly wanted miracles to disappear somehow. Well, they didn't, and they don't. And I pray that uh, your spirit would prevail and that uh, we might experience what was experienced here in the 1700s and then repeated in the 1800s, great awakenings. I pray that you will spark a great awakening, not just for here, but do it here for the rest of the world. And I pray that you might be pleased to do that in the power you have uh, given us, the powerful name you have given us, the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Bill. Thank you. Compelling words from Dr. Bill Boylan. PastorBoylan.com. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you, even as Pastor Bill has. And if you haven't done so, look, this may be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. And to find resources to reach family and friends, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. Psalm 119, verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Bill Boylan, PastorBoylan.com. Until next time, along with my producer, David Nasora, Creative Director, Brian Torres, Web Designer, Shana Kusumoto, Social Media Director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with the good life.